Pushing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos, episode number two. And, uh, well, I'm sitting here with these three gorillas. We've got a returning guest. You may have seen him or heard him on Not Your Average Operator, uh, episode 69. It was a total accident that that occurred. But Simon has uh, rejoined us. How are you going there, mate? I'm good, thanks, Paul. Thanks very much for having me on. How are we, gents? It's uh, It's... Always good to see your smiling face. I was lucky enough uh, during my trip to Oz to get together with uh, Simon in the sunny north. Where <laughs> it was just chucking it down with rain the whole time. And uh, we ducked into a, into a small uh, establishment and had a few brown Gatorades together. And it was, it's been a while in between drinks. And that was a very enjoyable evening. And uh, out of that, I talked with these uh, my regular two idiots and we're all like, yes, we need to get Simon back on for some more wisdom. So uh, welcome, mate. How's the family? How's everything going? Family's well. Uh, everything's good here in, in the sunny north of uh, Australia. And uh, yeah, life is good. Good stuff. And, uh, and how about you, Mike? How are you doing, pal? I'm really excited because today is really not a conversation. It's an interview to get your ass replaced. And <laughs> Raph and I are very excited for Simon to just come in and crush it so we can get rid of you. So other than that, I'm enjoying my coffee here in the morning and cheers. Yeah, lovely. Lovely. Good to hear. I need room for one Aussie on this uh, show and I probably have been warming the seat long enough for Simon. How about you, Tio? How you doing, pal? I just wanted to say that uh, Mike speaks for the both of us, and you're right. It's in the contract. We can only take one uh, one Oz. See you next Tuesday, and I think uh, you've reached your expirations. If people could just, if, if if people could really just see what Melon is wearing right now, I, I don't think you guys just cannot appreciate the banter that has been going on to completely just directed at Melon over his ensemble, which is it's a bit of an ensemble. It's. He's, he's just trying to make an impression. He, he usually has the white beater on, but now he's wearing the tightest black uh, collared T-shirt. And the collar is flipped up, I think, about like 23 inches. Like it's up around the back of his head for neck support, maybe. Maybe it's a pilot thing. I don't know. It but, looks like uh, a C-spine support. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yes. It's something to deal with that. And yeah. uh, I made a comment before we got on. It, it looks like he got it from like Abercrombie and Bitch or something like that. Like they have his own... <laughs> They have their own asshole line to the side on the table. We're like, ah, Melon, come on in. We have all of your shirts. And he's excited to like try everything on. I like the earlier statement that it was more like a one. Oh, 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 two. Oh, 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 oh. Well, it was the, so it's a throwback to anyone who grew up with that cereal. It's called Count Chocula. And uh, anyways, it, it was a pretty good cereal, but. It's the first thing I saw as soon as I rolled out of bed and I turned on the computer and I was like, you got to be shitting me. He's Melon's over here sitting up looking like cunt chocula. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is literally, this is, this is what I'm walking into. And that's when I took out the bevy. I know we sort of were greeted by TL. I think he's rolled out of bed. He claimed it was 4.30 a.m. And it really looked like he was pounding a tinny. I mean, he's claiming it's an energy drink, but I reckon there's, it's been topped up with something. Bit of the old agave juice. That hippie shit. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we're the best crew for conflict resolution. I feel like people like us just create conflict everywhere we go. <laughs> this is 
this is what we do. So you've probably seen in the show notes or uh, or you just heard Raf say that the topic today, conflict resolution. Um, the four of us, we're not claiming that we're experts at, at this. We're, we're going to continue to try our focus on uh, pushing back chaos and working on the three areas of work, love, and family. And this is certainly something that it comes up in every single relationship. It comes up in work relationships. It comes up inside family, and it comes up inside every uh, marriage or partnership. Anywhere where there's more than one person, there's going to be conflict, right? Like we've all got our points of difference. We've all got our uh, shadow, and that's going to graze up against people. And the, the closer the relationship or the more important the relationship, the more uh, these things are going to come to the fore. And so we're like, right, let's see what we can bring out of our experience and uh, what's worked and what hasn't. Often it's what hasn't worked. We learn the most. And uh, conflict resolution. So who wants to kick it off? I'll take it. Um, I really like this because, Melon, as you said, it's kind of a <laughs> conflict resolution is an, literally an everyday thing, whether you're at work or you're at home. Sometimes one carries into the other. So uh, for me personally, I think it's very important that I go in with an understanding or a process of how I'm going to go about it. So I can, I'm going to have to process it. I think that that word is key uh, to be able to go in. If you don't have a plan and you just go in and something explodes in front of your face and you're just kind of reacting and you're only in the reacting mode, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, so I kind of wrote down my own little thing. Uh, of, of how I get through stuff, uh, especially now as, as a leader within what I do, but also once I leave work and I go home, I kind of keep the same framework in the understanding that like, just because I'm not talking to somebody that, you know, I'm leading at work or working with that I can go home and have a conversation with a friend or a family member or anything else in the same, in the same way. Um, so I, I wrote them down here is I want to go in with a clear message Right. So if I'm going into a meeting in the morning and I know exactly what I want to say, because I don't want to waste anybody's time. Uh, and I really want to know what I want to say and how I want to say it, uh, regardless of what comes back at me. So questions or somebody gets pissed or whatever. It's like, yeah, well, this I stay in the left or right limits. Uh, I listen to understand and not respond. I think that's a huge thing for society right now is as soon as you hear a little bit of conflict or you hear, you know, you start hearing people get agitated a little bit. Uh, it's like, well, I need to assert myself and here's my position and listen to me and that's it period. And there's, and then it like cuts off all communication and it just for, you know, it furthers the, the conflict. Um, <clears throat> second part is ask questions. So obviously if you're having conflict, whether it's an argument, whether it's a fight, um, of any sort, you, you kind of got to understand the back reason of why, you know, like this isn't just happening because you woke up today and, you know, I don't know, God's out to get you. And it's just like, yeah, here's your shit part of the day. There's a reason it's happening. So like ask questions, whether you're asking yourself, why, why, why did I say that? Or why am I starting something? Or why did this person want to start with me? Uh, and, and again, try to understand, uh, always approach it with respect, uh, as much as you can. All right. And I say that because everybody should kind of be respected, especially in a work environment, if they're a teammate, but approach it with mutual respect. But again, for me, at least the minute that you get disrespected, then then you can move into other areas like I, I will not 
carry about myself and allow somebody to just completely disrespect me physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever, without being like, I'll stop. Now, now you're going to get another side of me that you don't want necessarily. Um, but that takes a lot to get me there now with how balanced I, I've really focused on, on becoming. And then uh, the last part is don't leave without a plan. Uh, so make time to resolve. So the last thing I want to do is get into a conflict uh, and then walk away with no answer with no plan. And I don't want to kind of just be floating being like, okay, now, now what, now what's going to happen? Well, I'll just wait for them to make a move or I'll do it later. I'll handle this in an hour, a week, next month. And then you're just kind of floating with that anxiety and that unknown of like, what the, what the hell is going to happen, you know? And then that just snowballs along the way. Um, so those are my main steps. Like when I think about resolving a conflict, but then also too, I just like to throw in there is that there are two, to me, there's two styles and one of them's worse than the other personally is internal and external conflict. So external for me is dealing with other people. The other side is internal conflict where I'm literally like beating the shit out of myself mentally and inside because I made a mistake. I hurt somebody. Uh, I'm not performing at the level that I want, you know, et cetera. Uh, those two are totally different uh, for me and internal is worse uh, for me. So just to throw that out there, maybe get some things spinning for the conversation. What are your tips there? Like, I, I think the external conflict is like your five points. They're really good. When you, when you're having that internal conflict, you know, there might be regret about something that's occurred or, as you've just described it there, do you have a different tact? Is there a different process that you're using, Mike? Uh, first is acceptance. I, the word comes to mind is, yeah, I made that decision in the moment uh, with, with what I thought was best at the time. And it happened. I made a decision. You know, there's a few things you can't take back. Once you fire a bullet, it, it's gone. Like there's no bringing it back. So accepting that, hey, I pulled the trigger and I either did that, I said that, uh, or I felt that, and that's just what happened. So accepting what is, is, is the first part. Two is just kind of going back into myself being like, why did I allow myself to do that? Why did I pull the trigger? You know, and I'm using that as a metaphor, right? I'm not just pulling triggers in every direction, but, uh, going back and looking at myself being like, did I let emotion roll me? Did I, did I allow myself to come unbalanced? Did I not think clearly about my decision prior to, um, and you, and let's be honest, if you start looking internally, most of the time, you know, exactly what's wrong and why you did what you did. We just don't want to talk about it, you know? So that's just kind of being honest. And then all you can do from there is just kind of, after you acknowledge it, you know what the problem is, is to go back and be like, how can I prevent myself from doing that again? Whether it's uh, iteration training, maybe, hey, I need to put myself in more of these situations uh, to be able to practice, uh, maybe restraint. So not having an emotional outburst, not doing something I'm not supposed to be doing and have more exposure in a sense uh, to feel that and just be like, okay, not to make it a regular feeling, but to just kind of uh, acclimate yourself and being like, okay, I can handle this. I know how to do this instead of just ignoring it and running away from it and then allowing it to show up when it wants. 
that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. Both of those, both of those internal and external mics sound really like. The- uh oh, someone's calling to uh, interrupt the uh, the whole show. There, who is that? Melon? That's Melon. I think Sesame Street's ringing to get that the count's outfit back. Yeah, the kids are calling for their cereal. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, you took it. I know you took it. <laughs> someone's someone's calling. That's for sure. The um the the key that I was hearing in both the internal and the external mic was like trying to get out of the state of reaction. That I don't think yeah, I don't think really good decisions are made in that state when there's an emotional element to a decision. There's the stimulus and response. There's been no gap. There's been no pause. There's been no consciousness. You know, because we're talking about something we're not happy with, and we're not talking about you know you see your mum and you tell her you love her. <laughs> this is not going to keep us awake at night, right? Like it's we've we've expressed a shadow. We've, we've manifested a part of ourselves that we're not happy about. And so being able to get that, get out of that state of reaction, like you're sort of, I've heard it referred to as desensitization, where you sort of just allow yourself to sit in that discomfort. I know Raph talks about that a lot, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, and then being able to, well, how could I have, how could I have handled this differently? Like gaming it, you know, what other options would there have been at the time? Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, absolutely is, man. And just being able to, to sit down and exactly what you did is like label it out, call it what it is and, and, and acknowledge it. I mean, that's the first, that's the first part of it. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. Do you want to jump in here, Raf? Have you got any thoughts there on uh, conflict resolution, what you've seen work or what you've seen not work that has sort of steered you pick up a few points and uh, tips for, you know, us, us for here, but also for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for extending the old olive branch, Melon. Uh, even after all my, I've been hurling insults at you all morning. Um, yeah, in Australia, so that's how we know you actually like us. If there's compliments, <laughs> Simon and I know that that you're like, fuck, they really hate me. <laughs> it's it's true, man. Schoolyard rules are always in effect. Um, no, just kind of to piggyback off of what Mike said. I want to circle back here. You're welcome, Mike. Um, it, so there's a couple things with what he was talking about. And I think he's he's right on the point with when you're and clearly we're talking about kind of like the work environment or just people that are out because I do think it's a little different when you're dealing with someone that you're married to that you genuinely love, like a, like a personal relationship, right? Those are a little bit more tricky because um, it doesn't take a whole lot to to make that thing go south um, because you have so much vet invested right in those relationships. And these are people that you, that uh, you genuinely care about. But anyways, back to the original one, I think what's really important is um, it, it's not so much like we can't avoid conflict. I think we've all agreed on that, right? It's, it's going to show up to your doorstep, whether you, you want it or not. Um, and sometimes you're better equipped to deal with it. And sometimes you fall flat on your face and, and you just have to recognize that. In doing so, I think there's a couple of things that I would kind of focus in on is one is kind of putting an emotional tag on not just the event, but maybe the words that were said or the things that were being done and just kind of understand, like, how did that make me feel? Like, did that piss me off right away? Was that something that gradually made me get upset or whatever it was so that you recognize in the future, hey, whenever these words are being said, whenever this person's face shows up, 
this is the emotional attack I'm going to expect. So you're almost kind of prepared, right? Like you, you just know the minute I see Melon's face, I just want to punch it. Well, I'm going to make sure that I'm at least seven feet away from your face so that I don't escalate the situation. So I think that's really important. Like you really have to, um, you know, kind of establish that like, Hey, how did that make me feel? And I know it's, it's a little uh, touchy feely, but it's really helped me in the past. Um, because at least you're recognizing, you know, so it doesn't just kind of catch you off guard and you're like, ah, and you're responding, you know, by manifesting in your own, like kind of an amplified kind of way. Um, the other one that I've really, uh, and I caught this, I learned this years ago. I forgot what book I was reading, but it talked about if you know, you're, you're kind of, if you, re- hopefully if you recognize that you're about to escalate in this conflict, or if you think it's going to create a, a conflict issue and it, listen, the cues are easy, right? If you look at somebody's body posture, the way they're facing the, 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 the tonality of their voice, all that stuff, you know, you start to pick up all these cues. If you have the maturity, if you have the strength or the internal will stop, take a deep ass breath and, and literally just focus. like, I'm not saying stop listening to what the person is saying, but definitely start breathing. And, you know, cause if you notice most people, when they're upset, they start to go into shallow breaths, right? Do the complete opposite, take deep breaths. And there's like real science and I can't get into it cause I don't have a PhD, but the book basically talked about how taking deep breaths actually changes your physiology. It actually like, and it has to do with like chemistry levels and everything else. And it just, it basically genuinely physically helps you calm back down. And in doing so allows you to not have that tunnel vision in your, in your thought process. And you start to, okay. It's almost like you slow things down and Simon and Simon and Mike, I know you're very aware of like when you're walking into a, a dangerous situation, whether it's a house or situation, you, you guys probably at length talk about breathing and controlling your breath before, you know, you engage in anything behind a wall or a door. The other one, and I think this is, this is pretty significant also is uh, I'm not going to kill it too much. Mike, you talk about owning it. And I completely agree. Also in owning it, understand what the antagonist is antagonist is is it you is it the other person is it both of you and then understand try to understand the point of view for that antagonist right like why is it that that person is pissed off like what set off that person or why did it set me off or why did it set both of us off i think that's really really key so again i'm really kind of laying more on how to like hopefully you know dismantle any sort of uh you know high high um like explosive like explosive uh, I guess moment uh, and try to like deescalate that as much as possible because the fact is we're going to run into conflict every goddamn day. It's just, it's damn near next impossible to avoid them. So it's just, you know, but, but those three things or four things have actually helped me significantly kind of reducing any potential um, uh, situation from like escalating further. They've been r- really fruitful for me. It's funny, you know, at this, at this stage of life being in the middle period, you know, not, not in your early twenties, you've observed yourself and you've got memories of these things escalating and you can almost sense, man, I'm on the freaking start of the slope and it's just about to hit the tipping point and we're going to, it's going to be a free for all, you know, and someone's going to reach for the nuclear switch here. And, you know, hopefully by now you've seen enough and learned enough by observing yourself and others to be able to have some of these de-escalation steps. That was some really good stuff to wrap about observing the environment of the situation that's setting it all up looking for the body language and tone, owning and identifying who's the antagonist and what was setting them off and then de-escalating. Is there any further points that you were thinking of in terms of uh, anything else that hasn't come out yet? 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, like I said, I was kind of just um, insinuating that this is more of my, these are kind of the techniques that I've been using in a kind of non-personal type environment. So obviously this is at work kind of, uh, this has been very fruitful. We know that uh, personal relationships are a little bit different, especially when we're talking about a spouse, especially talking about a girlfriend, a wife, um, and to be completely transparent because no marriage is perfect. My wife and I have been going through a spat where we've been having a struggle bus. Um, and I was kind of talking about it offline it's, with us. It it's really just been um, little ankle biters that just kind of collectively over time have kept building. And, you know, when, I mean, we both have careers, we're both very busy. Mine takes me out of the house uh, for days at a time. And that's what I think that's been one of the biggest challenges. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that can relate to this, um, whether you're a police officer, a nurse, a pilot, whatever you are, special operations community, um, even, the, even the person that works nine to five, but maybe they work opposite schedule. The point is work life demands kind of, kind of rob you of that space and that time where you would probably normally smooth things out. And what ends up happening, at least what I've noticed in the last couple of years of my marriage, you know, I walk away sort of not happy um, over whatever the issue is. And then I tend to ignore it because I'm a man. And then uh, when I come back, I think that it's kind of behind me, but nothing's been resolved and it just built. And so the next time uh, I'm a little bit more sensitive to whatever it is that my wife is saying, not saying, you know, body language. And I, a lot of it can just be manifested out of my own internal uh, misunderstandings of the situation. I mean, honestly, 90% of the time, whenever my wife do and I do come together and we talk about it, it's almost like as if we misread each other the entire goddamn time. You know, I, the whole time I'm thinking that she's upset about whatever. And she's like, that didn't even bother me. I was, and she's like, I was you know, mad about something else. And then I got <laughs> over it. But um, so the, 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 there's two things that have really helped us not reach the divorce. One is having a child. Cause that's literally been our backstop, right? It's like for us, for, for us personally, that is the absolute, like, we think about him and it's like, all right, this is worth fighting for. Cause listen, we're not perfect. There, there are moments where I'm just like, did I marry the wrong person? You know, like that's just being just what it is, man. I've had that conversation with thousands of people that just, you know, and I know that they're in loving relationships, but you have to ask yourself, like, you know, when it's, when it's in that kind of path, you're like, did I, did I misread something? Cause you know, um, I thought we were cool. I think, I think every marriage, I think every relationship, people think that, Ralph, like I, you know, hats off to you for, for saying it. I think that that's something that everyone listening, certainly the four of us, I think we're all nodding on screen here. We've all thought those sorts. You know, you're a human yeah. being and yeah. I think it's good that you've, you've shared that. Yeah. And then, and hopefully the answer is, yes, you married the right person. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then the uh, and then the, the second thing that has really helped me, um, really helped me with kind of surviving some of these uh, landmines, is kind of owning. This kind of goes back to what Mike was saying, but you kind of want to own what, even if you don't think you're at fault. Like even if I think that my wife, for whatever she did, even if I think like she's. 90% at fault or whatever the percentage is, I still have to own some of that. I still have to, I still have to assume that I created the environment that maybe my response was a bit immature that, you know, whatever it is, my ego, usually there's a lot of ego involved. Um, yeah, it, it, I have to own it. And whenever I own it, it really does seem to center me a bit, a bit more because, because it kind of helps you transition from just being that, that 
that fucking dude who just points and goes, well, you know, you're all ate up and you're all this and you're all that. And it just, it, you reel it back. You're like, and, and, and it just kind of puts you in a place where, you know what? There's a really good chance that, that I probably initiated this. Maybe her response wasn't the best, but you know, where was, where was the origin of this? And it was me acting like a total CU next Tuesday or whatever it is. So I think owning it, even if you don't think you're at fault, it really helps kind of center you and be a little bit more, uh, uh, malleable maybe in your thoughts yeah mike yeah not to i don't want to go in a rabbit hole but also exactly what you just said as part of owning it is especially in a work environment or even at home if you got kids right remember someone's always watching and they're going to watch you and see how you deal with conflict right especially especially as a leader at work or a leader of the household if that's how you deal with conflict where you just emotionally just just blow up and everything else. What do you think you're teaching your kids? What do you think you're teaching the people that you're leading and be like, Oh, well, I need to be this hard son of a bitch at work. And you know, I'm this, I'm that, and you never take shit and you always just crush people in every conversation. See how far that gets you. Right. So that's all I'll say about that. But I'm, that popped in my head as a very big point of like owning it and being like, okay, I'm doing this. It's not just for you everybody's watching to see what right looks like. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Simon, I think you were going to say something. Yeah. And what, what you've been touching on there, Raph and uh, Mike, it, it, it really resonates. Um, I'd have to say that you can't always focus on winning. You know? And we mentioned again, offline about those repeated patterns and that mindfulness to acknowledge those repeated patterns and just, Again, as you touched on, Mike, that empathy, having that awareness, self-awareness to your own yourself, but then the empathy for the audience. Um, I think that's 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 key. But um, I'd, all, I'd also step further left of the bang, so to speak. Um, some of the unhealthy responses when you know there's conflict. It's one thing I, I've i grown and learned. You can't avoid it. You know, sometimes you know, if there's, you know there's something there, it's brewing either at home and at work with colleagues or whatever the situation I find, you know, avoidance is never works. Cause again, it, you get stuck into that internal loop that you, you know, you, 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 you just, yeah, you're kind of regressing and you, you, know, you should just seek to confront it in that kind of, uh, uh positive kind of frame, uh, mindset. Yeah. You just, yeah. And I think if you do it that way, then going forward, that can lead to like some creativity and innovation in how you yeah you are in your relationships in your workspace you're at home. Um, so Simon, I have a question for you. So you said through like through your experiences, you've learned a lot. Now I've heard stories from Melon about a while back. You're a big lad. You're a pretty big dude, being a soft background, right? Go back to a certain period, maybe twenty years ago, when you were new into that unit or what you're doing and how you were then versus how you are now, what has brought you to realize all of these lessons throughout your time? Um, yeah, growing up. Yes. Um, again, I think it's, you know, re recognizing and it's been a, you know, for a number of those younger years, recognizing, um, the painful process of that repeated patterns in my reaction and my behavior wasn't working. It didn't work. You know, um, and those kind of conflict points. Um, I was ignoring all the signals, body language, 
um, those uh, kind of choice points in conversations and in, in interactions, just missing all those signals. And, you know, so yeah, for me, it was how it was like kind of really looking at trying to develop that EQ, um, start really uh, focus on and uh, developing, you know, those uh, uh, sensory kind of active listening, all those kind of uh, traits, characteristics, sorry. Um, and yeah, you having to go, having to go into those little internal, uh, kind of self-feedback loops and kind of reflecting, but make sure you take that, you know, they're having the mindfulness to take those lessons. Um, I still see, uh, friends and cohorts, both, you know, in military and in, you know, the, the private sector who, uh, you know, still, you know, have to practice this. You see, have to kind of, um, do this every time. We're not, we're not perfect. But, um, yeah, as I so said, you, you see the difference between the people who are trying to take the lessons and trying to internalize things. Some of the points that um, Raph was talking about there around owning it and taking responsibility, looking for the opportunity to put your ego aside and take responsibility. I mean, in, in, in a conflict when it's personal, when it's a long term relationship, it could be work, it could be someone you're working in a team with or your spouse. Those, those opportunities are not obvious when you're in the moment. And I think your point there, um, Simon, where you're like, don't try to win, I think that needs to be like underlined and highlighted and put in a box, you know, with a freaking Hollywood light shining on it. Because when you're in that conflict, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're like, if I just provide these extra facts that this other idiot is missing out on, they will come around to my side and I'll be like, yes, Melon, thank you for that wisdom. I now understand. And you're 100% correct. And it's like that that has never happened for me yet. I've only been around 46 years. <laughs> it, but fucking hell, I tried that a lot, you know, in my 20s and 30s. I would still still make a mess of it from time to time. But <laughs> So go back to Mike's uh, question. I'd have to say it's, yeah, and someone, yeah, hell of a lot smarter than me said this to me uh, a number of years ago is attack the problem not the person and you can translate that from your work your love life your family you know um yeah it's just i think you can really pay attention to certain things about so one thing i look at at work um that I can also carry over into my personal life is uh, in the military, we call it a tactical pause. All right. And what we mean by that is for military listeners out there, if you're on patrol and you get contacted and you immediately just call like a, a flanking maneuver or something, and you're just, you're not really thinking you're just, well, boom. And you, and you just automatically do something. You didn't take a tactical pause. All right. What that is, it, it could be five seconds. It could be 30 seconds, depending on the situation. There's no like exact rule book <laughs> for war. Uh, but what you're doing is you're taking in your environment. You're taking in all these little tiny factors uh, that could be terrain, that could be weather, that could be whatever. And if you react too fast and you don't know the full situation, you could have just made that firefight 10 times worse. And, and, and war, obviously now you're dealing with people's lives. So that tactical pause is okay. We're in a gunfight. Where's it coming from? 
what, you know, and you're looking at all those little factors before you make a call or a decision. So you can make an educated choice and be like, this is probably, all right. I say probably going to lead to a better outcome. Does it work all that out that way? No, because I can't control all the factors going on. Move over to the personal life. Same thing. I get, if I'm walking down the street and somebody comes up and just gives me the rocket of all fingers right to my face and just cusses me out. And, you know, it, initially, what am I going to do? Just start throwing haymakers? You know, no, like, come on, man. It, you kind of look at it, obviously protect yourself if this person's a, a raving lunatic, but you're not just going to start throwing stuff. You're going to be like, okay, what is going on with this person? Why, why are they being like this? What's the environment? You know, are they really out to hurt me? Are they just having a bad day? You know, you can take that tactical pause and read people in your personal life, you know, like Raph, you know, if, if his wife comes home and she just had a bad day at work and she just needs to off gas, it's not at Raph. She's just letting in out with Raph, you know, and you can kind of be like, ah, I see what's going on here. Maybe the best thing to do is not react and just listen. Right. And that could be so powerful. And you just didn't escalate that firefight at home, you know, cause <laughs> that could be really bad. So I think, you know, to me, tactical pause and really kind of what Raph said, it could be breathing. Holy shit. This is all unfolding the wrong way. Take a deep breath, take everything what's going in, make a, a better decision instead of just having diarrhea of the mouth, you know, in, in flying, I know Raph probably has heard this as well. They talk about when you have emergencies go off and everything made by human hands will eventually break. So every engine is going to fail. Every system is going to break down. It's the, you know, instructor teaching to the junior guys, sit on your hands. And it's exactly what you're just saying there. Don't reach for levers and don't start making inputs. Take that few seconds to take the information in. And that, that dovetails exactly what you were saying there in the SF community, Mike. The way I've seen this described for just general humanity is uh, Stephen Covey talking about the gap between the stimulus and the response, that the animal, you know, Pavlov's dog, the bell rings, the dog salivates. That having that pause and just thinking about a, a spread of possible responses, just that moment of thought increases the number of possible doorways you could go through. You know, that person in the street cussing you out or an interaction with a loved one or a coworker that's going to go off down a certain path. Like Simon was saying, those repeated arguments where it's like this, you know, the wheels are in the rut from the last one and it's happening again. And you sort of all you know where it's going to end half an hour before it's even got to that point. So just having that moment of thinking, how else could I respond here? What other options are available to me? Can just slow the whole process down and you can have that immediate de-escalation. Did you have um, other ones that you wanted to throw out? Any examples of work, love life or family? Well, Raph, with marriage, I found that just listening, don't try and solve the problems for them all the time. That's work for me. Um, yeah, we, we touched on some of those unhealthy responses. Um, but I, I think, I'll, you know, take it to, you know, post-conflict. You've got to make sure you take the, um, you may have already covered on this, Mike. You've really got to t- be mindful to really make sure you reflect and pick, grab those lessons. Um, I, don't, I think a, a younger Simon probably did, lacked lacked that awareness. Um, yeah, that's that's why, for my mind, is uh, you you know we've all got to grow. 
there's opportunities for growth in all these things. Uh, um, yeah. I think that one other thing that can come from this in how you react is the fact that either your enemy or somebody at home or whatever can start to predict you. Right. And the, something I really respect is somebody that I can't necessarily predict because if you are always amped up any type of conflict and, you know, again, for, for soft guys, at least there's ego, there's pride. And, you know, you you take one little tiny shot and they feel like you, you can't talk to me like that. I'm just going to fucking crush you, you know, because I'm this and I'm that and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, if, you, if that's the reaction every single time, one, you're going to diminish communication. But two, if somebody really wants to get under your skin, they know exactly how to do it. And you become predictable, whether it's on the battlefield. If I'm the enemy and I'm like, hey, these are a bunch of alpha type males and we put them in this situation, they're going to be like, let's crush, let's, let's, let's kill them, let's go, let's go. And they're going to sucker you right into the ambush. Right. Same thing with just everyday life. If you get somebody that just wants to completely get on a war path and they're out to ruin your day and they know exactly how you're going to respond and just how you are, they're going to set set up the trap and pull you right in and just they're going to watch you just walk right into the ambush yourself in your personal life. Right. So that leads to predictability. But when I see somebody, when something happens, whether it's physical, verbal, you know, whatever, and you see that pause and you're like, oh, dude, look at this guy. This guy's thinking that he's got some restraint. He's got some power to him. Like you, you can just tell the difference between people that take that pause versus the people that are just, oh, blah, 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 blah. And they just start going off loud and high and right. And you're just okay, I know how you think. I don't want, yeah, you can get out of here. I don't want to work with you. But or even like one of your friends in your personal life, it's just like you always get that one friend that's just always running his mouth. And you're just like, dude, just get the fuck away from me. Like you're not solving anything. You just bitch and moan every single day, you know? So I, I think that says a lot when getting into reading people and understanding before you even have the conversation after a while. Yeah, and I remember. Go ahead, Ref. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, and this is more for the listener who's been in a situation where you're kind of on the receiving end. Maybe you're with someone who's a bit toxic or whatever. And I, you know, I actually, this is a mantra that I've been saying in my head for a while, and I forgot where I heard it. But it's don't let someone's opinion opinion of you define who you are. We've all had bad days, right? We've all had days where maybe you underperformed, or you know, you just you came off like a total jackass, um, and someone might actually overtly give you their opinion and that opinion is probably not going to be good. Don't hold on to that. Don't let that be what's going to define you as a person. Maybe use that as some sort of motivation to be like, you know what? I didn't put my best foot forward. That person didn't see who, uh, what I'm really capable of, you know, um, and, and use that to move in the right direction. Conversely, if there's, you know, three people in the room and they all have the same opinion, maybe you are that asshole. <laughs> you should probably stop and wreck I mean, let's, let's be completely honest, right? If everyone's got the same opinion of you, they all can't be wrong, right? If you're the common denominator. So it, there, there's a flip side to that coin. Um, and then kind of to talk about, I think Simon or Mike, one of you guys said it, um, about 
focusing and making your, uh, I think you said focus and simplicity or something along those lines about trying to keep the answer short. That's actually a famous Steve Jobs quote. He talks about how the biggest challenge he's ever had is to keep his thoughts focused and simple. And he, and he just talked about how, you know, that's easier said than done. Like that, but that's where some of the greatest innovation and creativity, and obviously the, the man is known for uh, creativity and simplicity. Or, uh, and innovation. But he said in order to reach those heightened levels of creativity, he had to really focus his mind and he had to like make his thought process very simple. And he said that in itself was like a religion for him. Um, but that, but that led, you know, once you control your, your thoughts in that regard, then it allows you to kind of like kind of focus it into a specific direction. And then that's where, you know, you start to really start to compound um, in creativity. But I thought that was pretty fascinating. Well, if you're, if you're ready, I'll sort of throw some of the thoughts I've had um, while leading up to this topic. I was, I was really like, it can be a lot of fear towards resolving conflict. And like I've moved forward into a position where this is something I don't fear as much when I'm effective. Obviously, I'll fuck it away still like everyone else, but this is the space for growth. And if you're always in agreement with this other person, that other person is not necessary in the relationship. Like if, if they're identical to you, there's no, there's no growth that's going to occur because you're not hearing different ideas and different opinions and, and so on. And you can focus on negotiating versus compromising. Compromising meaning you're giving up something you believe, you believe in or it's important to you versus finding that third way. So look for these opposite opinions and try and understand where they're coming from. And then trying to find your way into that new possibility without compromising where you're trying to generate something better than you can generate on your own by using this other person's inputs. So starting with a framework, which we always like to, to put out there, of the first one is what's our highest common agreement? So I know that Raf talked about co-parenting and that that 100% that's that when i'm having a conflict with cherry we've had enough now that we know the co-parenting part is something that is not negotiable and that is our ultimate top and it could be in a team you've got an objective that you've all agreed on and you're going out to uh, get after and you're like okay well we we've already agreed on that that is something that we already have and you can elevate yourself trying to get above that argument point where you're back to being on the same team and you're just trying to find the best way uh, working at the problem as a teammate rather than as an enemy, sort of what Simon was saying there about attacking the problem and not the person. The second one, so the first one being what's our highest level agreement? The second one is can we behave like adults? So can you bound the relationship so that you don't act like children and you can have these agreements established when things are good in the middle of the arguments, not the time to try and, uh, point out where the other person is doing something wrong or whatever, but to bound your argument so that there's behavior that you're both going to put off the table, like there's not going to be name calling, there's not going to be table slapping, there's not going to be et cetera, et cetera, talking in front of subordinates or in front of children. So you can bound the conflict when it's going to occur and then you're going to be able to retain, um, you know, you're going to be able to live in the peace afterwards. You haven't crossed any lines, no nuclear weapons have gone off. And so to that end, you, th you then have boundaries. And if you can agree on this again, you've created limits in the peacetime and the good times that 
hey, if, if this sort of behavior occur again, we both agree that, right, that's going to lead to a timeout. You know, there's going to be an, a cessation of hostilities. Someone's going to withdraw. Someone could go for a walk. Someone could go lift some weights, you know. Yeah. But a timeout can be called. So you've sort of put in effectively like laws of armed conflict for those uh, military types out there that there's certain things you won't do even in the heat of the moment because you have that, like Raph and I, I think you've got it really clear. The co-parenting part is the, the thing that will not be negotiated. There's no getting away from that shared responsibility to the kids. So once those three things have been done, you create space for the other person to talk and a really good way uh, I've heard this done and I've done it myself is restating the other person's uh, position back to them when they're done. And you don't get to talk until you've said their, <laughs> their position to their happiness. You haven't like created a shit version of what they've said that you're ready to tear it apart. You've really tried to get it accurate. And then once you've got, yes, you've both stated each other's positions. Now go for your pitch. Like try and sell them with your most convincing point. Like you're really trying to change their mind. Go in with your best point. And let's see where it goes. So these are the things that have worked for me is don't treat the, the conflict, don't fear it. Look for the space to grow. It's a negotiation, not a compromise. Try and find that third way and set up some frameworks when things are good. Look for your highest common agreement, establish rules so you behave like adults and then have those limits for when things go wrong. Simon. Um. Just, it just came to me while, you, while you were uh, talking there, uh, Melon. I think it's also very critical to just to know when to uh, when to forgive. You know, when to apologise and when to forgive. I think that's that's good. You know, it's healthy. Again, it's not. You know, otherwise you could be repeating patterns. But just to have that in front of your mind, and just I've been reflecting back on what you said earlier, Raph. Um, I think it's also remember the importance of the relationship, be it personal or your professional. You know, it's the end of the day. This is just a little, yeah. The conflict's a roadblock, a little hurdle that you you've hit. But yeah, you know the good times you've had. You know that there's going to be good times. You've got to, You can't lose focus of that. You know, yeah. The little one percenters they build up. But yeah, you just yeah. I think yeah that forgiveness. And just remembering the value, the, the importance of the relationships you have. And one of, one of my it's, yeah, I was going to, uh, Simon, I think you nailed it. I think um, forgiveness is probably one of the more difficult things to do, right, as, as individuals. I mean, it, but you think about how much strength it takes to, gen, like, and not just to say, hey, man, I'm sorry, but to, like, really, really feel it, to really be like, fuck, you know, like, it's... I'm sorry. Like this is, you know, like it, we've all we've all been in the receiving end of like a real apology. God damn, does that not make you feel good? Like, you know, it almost makes you feel like a jerk as well. You're like, ah, man, I'm over here making him apologize or making her apologize, and you know, it almost makes you feel like a child, like like a like an adolescent idiot. Um, so I, I think I'm really glad you said that because uh, that needs to be said, right? Like that that's a real superpower to like genuinely feel it in your body and be like, man, I. My, really, my apologies. And then, Mike, before I hand it off to you, one of the, if, just kind of a reminder that the, the highest levels of achievement, whether it's, you know, and I'm sure uh, everyone's got their own personal uh, version of that, whether it's a unit, whether it's an aircraft to fly, whatever it is, um, don't forget, it took constant, constant hard work 
to, to reach, to, to, you know, get a specific piece of, you know, whatever put sewn on your uniform to be part of a, a certain unit, a squadron, whatever it is. Listen, that's no different in, in a personal relationship, right? To reach the highest levels of a marriage, to reach the highest levels of a relationship, it takes constant hard work. It's, it's no different than the professional achievements we've, we've arrived at. Um, and that's something I have to constantly remind myself, you know, like I can't treat my marriage like it's, you know, a third tier project in my life. Like it has to be damn near more important than my, because listen, my son could give two Fs if, if, if I'm a pilot or if I'm what, whatever it is that I wanted it to be. Like he, he doesn't care. I'm daddy. Like, you know, <laughs> he doesn't care about planes. He cares about bulldozers and, and tractors. So it doesn't, you know I mean, like literally it's like in the words of my wife, you know, I'm a pilot. Yeah. I don't care. Like literally nobody cares. And you have to remind yourself that like marriage, your relationships to include your friendships, man, that should be at the center of your world that, and that is going to take constant hard work. Don't be afraid to do that. Even if it's one of those difficult ass apologies that Simon just talked about. I mean, that's, that's a real superpower. Yeah. And all I want to say about forgiveness is I think that that key word is the key that connects external and internal uh, probably the best because if, like I said, if you do something externally and you win that fight, you win that moment, you're going to walk away internally. You're going, God, God damn it. Like I just said that I just did that. I know that was wrong, but forgiveness is the key to alleviate the external. Like when you really give a heartfelt apology, regardless of what the other person says, you get it out. And you're like, I just want to let you know, I was completely wrong and I messed up and I own that. That's going to alleviate the internal struggle. And it's hopefully not going to carry over into the next conflict. You know, you don't want to have that snowball effect. So man, forgiveness. I'm so glad that got brought up because I, as soon as, as soon as Simon said it, all three of us have put our hands up like, man, we, that resonated. Like that was something we all wanted to touch on. And Simon, uh, before we lose too much time, uh, and especially with you, is, is there any, because you have such an illustrious career, man, and like in a, in a shadowy world, whatever you want to call it, like in a world where, you know, very few people get to get a glimpse in it. Um, are, are there any like anecdotal stories where you can think back, whether as a young dude, you know, in that community, or even as an older guy now, where, you like, you know, is there like a moment, like a conflict where you're like, it really could have gone to shit. And thankfully, one of us, whether even it's the other person or, or yourself that came up with the, you know, with the response that was able to deescalate that stuff. Not, I'm not asking for national, you know, secrets here. I'm just. Uh... Um, I think it's every day, every day <laughs> coming in and out the front door with my, with my family. Um I'm always at fault at something. I'm not perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, nothing I can think of now. You put me on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, sorry, man. I probably should have uh, preempted that before the show. One of the points that I wanted to raise, if, uh, if you're going to give me a minute here, was just in those times of peace, you know, like maybe it's post the previous conflict and you've, you've, you've asked for forgiveness and you're trying to take responsibility for the shit that you've generated and, you know, the mess you've made. I've gotten into the habit of really trying to list off and acknowledge, I'm talking here about inside the marriage, list off all the things that I know Cherry has done, like the amazing, miraculous things that she's done, 
the strength that she's displayed and the triumphs that she's uh, generated out of nothing that are not like intention and thought and like, you know, how is someone feeling, but that like a historian could go and say, right, you know, she did what she had to do and had seven days of labour to get Annie into the 23rd week to give her a chance of survival. She dealt with 173 days in the neonatal unit. She uh, lived through cancer and had, she went to the gym every single day bar one while she was getting chemo. She dealt with, you know, these are the failings of, on my behalf until I was a man enough and mature enough to take responsibility for them. And in those times of peace, like acknowledging those things, setting a baseline for respect, that has just, I don't know, in the last two years, that has been like a springboard for the marriage to reach another level where we both really know what the other person is capable of when their shit is really on the table. And, you know, this, this marriage, like there's a reason I'm with her and I've seen these amazing things. And if I can keep them in the forefront in the good times and I've really brought them up, it's, I, I can't take them back in the heat of the moment. It's like, it's, it's, it was true then, it's true now. I can use that to create boundaries and say, if we get to this point, I'm gonna to call a time out and go for a walk, you know, like that's sort of giving me the power to try and be better in those moments of heat when the emotions are rising. So that's just one. Another point was when I was in Australia, I just noticed heaps of my friends are sort of in their mid forties, uh, seeing counselors and they're, I'm like, it's such a positive thing that people are looking for people with as much expertise in relationships and the way your mind works that I have with flying and that Mike and Simon have with SF stuff to find like, who's the expert here. We can talk to someone we can get some key guidance on how to navigate this next part of uh, a life. And my mate Sandy and, and Sarah were dealing with a lot of this time of partner reunion. He was just working just away a huge amount. And his little bit of advice was being prepared to receive each other in the reunion stage that they would just take, he'd get the car in the driveway and just before coming in, he'd just take a minute and just clear his mind, you know, put his stuff in his bag, whatever. So he's not walking with everything falling out. She'd just tidy the house just a little bit and be like, get the kids away. And they'd just take the time to have 30 seconds. Cause this research, this uh, counselor said to them, the first five minutes, and we're talking about, you know, a guy who was having, you know, a couple of hundred flights, domestic flights a year. So having just weekends only together, that the whole tone when they knew it was only going to be two days is set in the first few minutes. And the researcher says, actually, it's actually in the first eight seconds. You walk in and there's like a look on the face or the other person's not there or turning away and you just trigger each other. And then it takes more than 48 hours to resolve that and, and you're away again. And they just got like that as the key bit of coaching, which is prepare to receive, take the 30 seconds to a minute prior to seeing each other and get yourself in the state of, I love this person. I'm looking forward to seeing them and going in with that openness and positivity. Ralph. Yeah. I was going to say, where were you six months ago, Melon? You son of a bitch. Cause that's literally like to a T what's been happening, you know, well, what happened to us, we've resolved it. But I mean, that's literally what happened about four months ago was I, I, I started noticing that I, you know, I'd come home and, you know, it was like a very lackluster welcome home. And it's again, ex expectation management on my part. But when you have a house with kids and guests and dinners being cooked and, you know, you're not going to get the fanfare you want. And, uh, 
that kind of hurt the ego sometimes, but vice versa. If I was home, you know, if I got home late at night, we didn't see each other in the morning. She, you know, and she'd come in after work. I think she expected the same, but then I'm the, you know, I'm the guy in the kitchen running around, you know, trying to chase sore. And so it's, you're at, you literally, uh, as you're describing, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what's been happening to us. It's that eight seconds where we didn't, you know, we just, we received each other in a negative way. And that just fucking stayed with us for the next couple of days until I went on my next trip. And yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. Holy shit. So, so this mate, Sandy, we've been mates 21 years. I was his best man on Godfather, his son, Sandy and Sarah, just such a blessing to spend time. And then when I saw Sean, I'd been staying with him and just the wisdom that he's got now, again, in this sort of midlife period of how things have been rocky and, I thought that was just such a good key piece of advice on what has it's genuinely worked for them, you know, being in that, being in their space with three little, <laughs> three little rugby players plus Sandy and a, and a dog and she, you know, like the wife is at home working from home as well and looking after all these people. And he's been away and he's flat out and tired. And, you know, when he comes home, she's really looking for him to take the kids <laughs> and he's really looking to be like, you know, you've got this idealized version of, oh, I've seen photos on Facebook of him having cocktails out or he's like thinking, oh man, she's at home with the kids. I wish I was there. Both of you are flat out. You both, it's a full-time job <laughs> on both yeah. sides. And in that reconnection moment, you trigger each other and lose the time you had together. And anyway, that was a, a good key little bit of conflict resolution. I thought that I picked up from my, one of my best mates. Yeah. So we're probably getting close to the end here. Um, conflict resolution, pushing back chaos episode two with our uh, special guest, Simon. Are there, are there further points that anyone wants to drop in here that they've observed in the, or, or seen what worked or hasn't worked in the, in the work, family or relationship space there? Anything further you wanted to drop in there, Raf, before we close? Um, no, just uh, that I'm always right. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> And I forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works? That's great. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Anything from you there, uh, Simon? Any bombs you wanted to drop? Any any off off uh, topic stuff you wanted to leave anyone with? Oh no! Look, that's been a really uh, really uh, insightful and and uh, quite illuminating uh, uh, session and opportunity to chat with you, gentlemen. And uh, yeah, let me just say thank you. That's been really good. You're very welcome, mate. When we, the two of us, the three of us were chatting and we're just, it was unanimous. The guys wanted to, get, we really wanted to get you back on early. We, 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 we know you've got a lot to offer, not just from your, your background, but from your character. And we're very lucky to have some of your experience as well as your uh, insights come and just share with us. And we really appreciate it. We'd love to have you on again, <laughs> by the way, down the road. Also, can we just make it official whenever Simon comes on that 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 the shirt Melon is wearing is the you know, the official cunt Chocula shirt is <laughs> it just has to can that can that be the, the image the 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 sight picture for Simon every time he comes on? He looks pretty happy at the thought of it. The prospect of my fairly small head framed by a fairly small collar. <laughs> It makes a difference. It makes a change from seeing you in rugby shirts and in various states of dress. Very loose shorts. shorts as well. I normally wear really, shorts. really loose and baggy shorts. Shorts. <laughs> that, that, yeah, shorts that are never too or not short enough. I should say. Jesus. 
All right. Um, just the last one there, Mike. Did you have any other points that you wanted to to leave anyone with? Any thoughts you'd had? Uh, no points. Just uh, I get back to my challenges. I, I always like challenging other people to be better and, and do some stuff. So after listening to this episode, maybe you're driving in your car, maybe you're just sitting at home or cleaning or going on a run, whatever you're doing. Whenever you're finished up, uh, sit down and write down some things. Uh, two things in particular. One, write down how you think you are when you are in conflict and identify your weaknesses and then write down some things maybe you heard in this episode that you can improve on the next time you encounter conflict, whether it be at work or in your personal life. Uh, and then hold yourself to it. Either write it down on a three by five note card or a little piece of paper. And when you start up during the day, uh, when you're having coffee, pull that sucker out and read it. And it's kind of mentally preparing yourself. Hey, if I come into contact today or conflict, uh, the, the, you're going to remember those things to do. And it's going to be just fresh in your mind, right? It's just like anything else going to the gym. You work out every day, your muscles remember it and it's muscle memory. Same thing with this. <clears throat> so I challenge you to do that. Um, just, uh, reviewing. All right. So I know it's episode two, people are getting used to the change a little bit. Reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, send us a message, comment on a post, uh, do something like that. If you want to reach out to us directly uh, through uh, email, it's uh, pushingbackchaos at gmail.com. Uh, all three of us will see that. If you'd like to get in touch with Simon or have a question, hit, hit us up on there. Uh, if you have anything for feedback, if you'd like to have us on for consulting of any sort, um, or you just have general questions or like to be part of the conversation, please feel free to hit us up. And my last point, please don't forget to vote for Simon. We're sick and tired of Melon, and it's 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 time to end this shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go get the piggy blinders haircut. There's a special, there's a special, special set of shears apparently that I gotta use on either side of the head that Simon shared with us before we started. <laughs> all right. Uh, so from all of us and to all of you, uh, we'll be back again next week the same time. Look for us in your usual uh, places. Please drop in reviews and uh, ratings. It does help with the algorithm to get this out. And please share this widely out in the community. And uh, until next time, take care.